You're listening to episode number 19 of the Purpose Gathering Podcast. In today's episode, I am so thrilled to introduce you to Tony Zielko. He is the epitome of a multi-passionate dadpreneur. So you guys hear me talk about being multi-passionate all the time, but wait until you hear who Tony is. So Tony is a husband, father, licensed therapist, author, musician, new amateur hockey player, and co-owner and co-founder of Stories Counseling located in Gilbert, Arizona. He's basically just a guy trying to manage all the things on top of recently discovering the wonderful world of video games. After years of full-time church ministry as a pastor, Tony decided to step into the clinical world and is now a licensed clinical mental health therapist in the state of Arizona. In addition to his license and master's degree, he has specialized training in trauma such as EMDR and sensorimotor. He also has training in EFT, psychodrama, and couples counseling. Tony has a desire to help people live the story they need to live and not to focus on reducing the pain and suffering in life, but rather be bigger than it. I asked Tony to come on because I wanted him to share with us the number one issue that he sees in his practice that couples struggle with. He's also going to be sharing with us the difference between a pursuer and a withdrawler in a relationship, because there's typically one of each, and he's going to break down what that looks like, what it doesn't look like, and then how to work together. He's also going to share with us how to get out of the conflict cycle as quickly as possible and how to see our differences and utilize our strengths to become a stronger, tight-knit couple. So I'm excited for you to hear his story and learn from his amazing expertise. Hey mama, welcome back to the Purpose Gathering Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Freehand, and I'm here for all you mompreneurs out there feeling torn between raising a thriving family and building a business you love. I'm a photographer, community founder, podcaster, wife, and mama saved by grace, so I can totally relate to you multi-passionate mamas. Join me every week where I share with you the strategies and mindset shifts that you need to find peace and passion in motherhood and business so that you can have more time for the things that matter, like Netflix and cookie dough. But seriously, are you ready to transform your life from feeling frazzled to focused and be equipped with the tools you need to juggle all the things? If so, you're in the right place. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for coming on the show. We are so glad to have you. I would love for you to just quickly introduce yourself and let our listeners know who you are and what you do. Yeah, no problem. It's great to, great to be able to uh, sit down and talk with you. Um, so yeah, my name is Tony, and I am uh, the co-founder uh, and co-owner uh, of a private practice that does clinical mental health uh, therapy. Uh, here in the the East Valley um, of the Phoenix metropolitan area in a place called Gilbert. And um, I run that with my partner, uh, Jessica. And so what we do is we provide lots of therapeutic services to clients. We're licensed with the state of Arizona. And uh, we specialize mostly in trauma. And then we have uh, different specializations. And one of mine tends to, to really fall after trauma into more couples uh, marriage uh, work. And so, so yeah, so that, that's kind of what we do. And, and our, and our company's called Stories Counseling. And so uh, that's basically 
kind of the overall gist of what we what we try to accomplish. Awesome. That's so great. So I'm excited to have you on because a lot of our listeners are married or, you know, living with their family. Maybe they have, you know, kids that are older. And so I really want to hear from you, like, what are some of the biggest struggles that you hear um, relationally, whether it's couples or I don't know if you do much family counseling, but kind of like, just kind of give us an overview of what you think is like the biggest issue that you see. Yeah, you know, I do I do a handful of uh, family therapy, but uh, one of the things that I notice um, is that family therapy does not tend to be uh, something that's super popular, you know, for uh, n- numbers of reasons. But what I do get a lot of is I do get a very uh, large referral, uh, a source and base of uh, marriage or couples, you know, not all the couples that come in are married, but um, sort of have that dynamic about them, um, whether they're newly engaged or have been together for years and lived together or whatever it is. Um, and so through uh, just my significant time uh, working with couples, you know, in the therapeutic world, you know, I guess you could probably add on, you know, the, the years that over half a decade that I spent in uh, as a full-time pastor dealing with uh, couples in that setting. Um, one of the things that is the biggest common kind of presenting issue that comes into my office is probably not what you think it would be. A lot of times there's a stigma of, around like the husband does something wrong. Maybe there's an infidelity in the marriage or, you know, there's, you know, some kind of big crisis. And I think when people think of counseling, they think of crisis and they think of something that happened. There was an implosion or an explosion that happened within the marriage and therefore we're going to go seek counseling to get repair. But what we find, um, at least in my experience has been, uh, you know, 80 to 90% of the couples that come into my office is almost never a crisis. It's almost always a slow disconnection. I mean, that's probably the best way to put it. It's, it's maybe, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, 14 years of just grinding daily and day by day and they get to a point and they look at each other and they go, I don't even know if I like you anymore. And that tends to be the most common theme. And what makes that challenging for them is that they're not sure what happened. And I think that's why it's kind of like a big theme in therapy right now is people are just kind of freaking out a little bit and they're going, you know, a crisis is easy to resolve. Um, There's a clear problem and we can, kind of address that. But when you have 14 years of disconnection, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what the thing is. That makes a lot of sense. So Tony, what do you feel like is the first thing that you recommend to a couple when they come in and you've noticed that it's been so long that they haven't even had a real conversation or, you know, you realize that they have kids and when you throw kids into the mix, it just makes it so much harder for couples to communicate, right? They kind of lose the passion that once was there and they just feel like they maybe don't have the time or the energy to pour into the relationship anymore. So what do you suggest when they come to you like that being disconnected for so long? Yeah, when they first come in and this is sort of the discovery process when we're, you know, the first few sessions, we're trying to figure out you know, what, what is happening? You know, we spend a couple sessions generally 
kind of diving into, you know, uh, past experiences as a couple, back to past experiences in life as individuals, back to their childhood. And, and you try to figure out in a discovery period, what is going on? And once we get through that discovery period, um, one of the foundational things that I tell couples over and over and over again, is that if you're here in my office, sitting on this couch to save your marriage, you're here for the wrong reason. And they generally are sometimes taken by that, taken back and, and, and like, I don't understand, this is why we're here. And it's like, no, you have to be here to be healthy. And the fact that there is, um, there has been a disconnection means that there's something with inside uh, of you and maybe your, your spouse or maybe both of you or your partner that is unhealthy. And you have to learn how to get healthy with or without your spouse or partner um, before you can even think about your marriage. And it tends to be a, a paradigm shift for people because they come in with almost this, this fixed agenda of if I do X and Y and Z, then I will have done what I needed to do and I can worksheet my way through it. And then I can kind of do these eight things. And in six weeks, our marriage is back on track. And, and it's kind of reminding them that, you know, if it took you 14 years to get here, it's not going to take you six sessions to get back. And so it's a process. And you can sometimes see the blood leave some people's face because they're just kind of like, oh, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be um, when they realize the investment and, and the commitment that it's going to take. And the analogy that I use very often is an analogy of a bridge. You know, the when you come in for couples therapy, you know, the marriage is the bridge. You know, the marriage is the thing that you drive on. It's the thing that you operate on. It's the thing that gets potholes. It needs to have new lines painted on the streets. It needs to be repaved and it needs to be cleaned. And it needs to be kind of repaired here and there. But what we forget is if the pillars holding up the bridge, aka the two people in the relationship, if, if, those, two, if those infrastructures are weak and unhealthy, it doesn't matter what you do to that road. It's going to crumble at some point. And so um, I, I tend to always shift people, you know, after that discovery period back on themselves to say it's about you getting healthy. Um, otherwise, you're just here to save this external thing. And in reality, it's going to crumble 10 years from now, um, no matter what you do, because you're not working on yourself. And that tends to be the first thing that I do. And they, uh, uh, some of them get really deflated and some of them uh, are really encouraged and like, okay, I think I have permission now to focus on myself and uh, not have the pressure of saving my marriage. But uh, a lot of people kind of flinch at that, at that commitment, you know, and so that's typically the first thing that I do with them. Yes, that's awesome. And I remember one of the sessions that Travis and I were in with you, I think that you said something about like the mirror analogy. Mm. Yeah. Do you speak to that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you explain Absolutely. that a little bit about, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I loved that analogy too, because I feel like so often I turn the mirror towards my husband and I'm like, hey, these are all the things that I think you need to fix. And so, yes, if you would elaborate on that, I feel like that would be extremely helpful. Well, it depends. It depends what you're, what you're talking about. So I use, this is going to sound embarrassing and slightly um, hilarious, but I use a handful of mirror analogies. <laughs> so sometimes it's about body image and sometimes it's about 
you know, shame and sometimes it's about marriage. Um, and do you recall specifically any of the details just to even jog my memory? Yes. So it was the analogy of turning the mirror inward and looking at yourself and what you can do to strengthen the marriage versus turning it towards your spouse and saying, here yeah, are all the yeah. things you need to do wrong that you're doing. Yeah, right. I, it's, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's right. You, yeah, you basically said it and summed it up perfectly. Um, yeah, that's basically, uh, that's basically the whole point of that um, is, you know, I think when we come into marriage counseling or marriage therapy, what we tend uh, to really fixate on is how you have been, you know, quote unquote violated or how you have been disrespected or how you've been unnoticed or how you've been devalued in the marriage. And it, tend, it can very often turn into a like a list of like, here's all of the things that I feel like if you fixed, like then it would be good. And it's sort of like turning it back on yourself and saying, no, instead, what can you do for the marriage? And if you just focus on that, um, then, uh, and then the other person does the same, you know, then that end result, um, that end result can happen. But uh, it's, it, it tends to be this very external thing sometimes where we're looking at the other person um, and, and it's, it's all over the place. I mean, I, I get it all the time. I have people come in for sessions individually but without their spouses. And then, you know, they say, I want to bring my spouse in at some point, but let me tell you all the things about this person first. And then they paint this picture of just this, like this maniac hyena that is just running around and like, and, and it's just never the case, you know, and, and typically what you find is that they maybe were avoidant or they were, uh, you know, equally a part of that. And so it's kind of, Hey, why don't you stop? Why don't you pause, look yourself in the mirror, stop being avoidant. Don't be afraid to see the pimples on your face and actually acknowledge <laughs> with some exposure therapy, metaphorically, you know, what's wrong with your complexion and fix it. Um, if that's really, really what you want to do. So yeah, that's good. That's so helpful. Thank you so much. So do you feel like when couples are coming to you and they finally get over that shock factor of like, oh no, like I'm really going to have to look internally and I'm really going to have to change some things about myself. Do you feel like there is kind of one person who is maybe a little bit more of the fighter and one person who kind of avoids all of the conflict in general? Yeah. I mean, I would say that, um, you know, it's never exclusively the case, but, um, you know, I, so I never like to talk in, in full generalities, but, um, to use, to, to speak more in majority, uh, terms, cause it's never a, a total, um, you know, exclusive thing, but, uh, more of on a, on a majority basis, you know, this is sort of this concept, you know, that we talk about, you know, um, uh, of, of what's called, you know, a pursuer and a withdrawer. And there tends to be, you know, that's um, that type of dynamic in a relationship. Again, it's, it's, it's a large part of the majority. It's not exclusively um, where there is, t there does tend to be a pursuer in the relationship and then a withdrawer. And what you tend to find is one person in that couch on that couch, whenever I present this, this confrontational idea um, to them of, of they're just like, yeah, let's do it. Like I'm willing, I'm willing to do whatever. Let's do therapy twice a week and once a week, whatever needs to happen, I'm willing to spend as much money. And, and you can just see the other one just going like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to take off work for this. I'm gonna have to do this. And this is gonna be really inconvenient. And, 
and you can just see them almost like you can see the withdrawing happening like on their face, like that they're just kind of, kind of shutting down a little bit. So what do you feel like is the major difference between them? Like when they maybe are behind closed doors? Cause I know for us that when we would go to sessions with you, Tony, like we would not normally, you know, we were not in a fight. So everything was calm and it was, you know, it was much easier to talk about it. But then behind closed doors, like when things get ugly and heated, like how do you feel like the pursuer and the withdrawer, how do they present themselves and what are the major differences? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of major differences and a lot of people listening are, you know, probably going to go, well, a pursuer is probably, you know, blah, 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 and they're probably correct. And so whatever your assumptions might be of a pursuer or withdrawer, you know, generically speaking are probably correct because they're self-explanatory on a large degree. But um, some of the nuances of the withdrawers are, you know, that uh, they're not always the person that just entirely shuts down. You know, sometimes they're the person who their way of withdrawing is they're always distracting themselves with a task. Like they're always doing something they're always kind of keeping themselves busy and that's their way of kind of withdrawing from the possibility of intimacy with their spouse because that seems scary or, or, or vulnerable to them. And so it's not always this like cowering, I'm going to go hide in a room and shut down and just go, I don't know. I don't know. I know sometimes the withdrawer, you know, that is a component of them, but sometimes the withdrawer, they, they keep themselves really busy uh, and they just distract with the task. And then the other one, the other difference is that um, the pursuers, um, the pursuers aren't always the one who are, they're not this like ADHD, you know, kind of like, you know, hyena that you think of that are just like really like, you know, they're head shaking, like they drank a bunch of Red Bull and they're just like, what's going on? How are you doing? What's going on? They're sometimes they're just the, the person who will be, you know, sitting on the couch watching a TV show. And then they'll pause the TV and they'll look at their spouse and they'll say, do you think I'm ugly? And it's just out of nowhere. And that spouse is just taken off guard and they're like in the middle of watching like a sitcom and then they're just like, what is going on? And so sometimes the pursuer is shows up in a, uh, in a way that is um, uh, more prodding than it is just like uh, the idea, like the image you get of pursuing of like running toward the person. Sometimes it's just these little like, pokes and these little like questions and they're sort of like fishing in a way. Um, and then the other differences between the two is to recognize the differences, um, to not confuse them. And so what I mean by that is that there is a large difference, um, you know, between withdrawers and pursuers, but they can share a lot of similarities. So, you know, just real quickly, what I mean by that is, you know, don't confuse a withdrawer as a pursuer, because a withdrawer gets defensive. And so that's important because a withdrawer will, will pull back and withdraw and avoid and to, a certain, to a certain point, and then they get fed up. And when they feel like they can't withdraw anymore, that's when they get defensive. And then their defensiveness looks like pursuit. And then on the other side, a pursuer um, is to not be confused as a withdrawer, because at some point the pursuer is going to get tired of pursuing and then they're going to, they're going to give up. And so they're not withdrawing, but they're giving up. And so it looks like withdrawing. And so there tends to be some uh, confusion sometimes. Maybe a one spouse was 
is typically a pursuer and they'll say, I don't know, I feel like you used to be a pursuer and now you're not anymore. And it's like, well, I think they're probably still a pursuer. They've just given up. And, uh, and so those are some of the major differences, but there's the generalities are true, but there's also some nuances there to it. Hey mama, I wanted to interrupt this episode really quick and just let you know of an amazing free Instagram training that I have going on right now. And I want you to be a part of it. So this Instagram training is all about planning and utilizing Instagram in the absolute best way so that you can strategically grow and market your business. So I'm talking about all the things, the basics of Instagram, whether or not you should have a personal or professional profile, how to plan your content, how to brainstorm your content, when to post. I include a 15 page PDF workbook with content planners in there for the month and then also for the week so that you can really break it down. I give you all the information that you could absolutely ever need to use Instagram in the best way. I would love for you to check it out. You can visit thepurposegathering.com slash Instagram, and I can't wait to hear how it impacts your business. Thank you for sharing that because I do see that happen a lot in, in my relationship, especially, but even sometimes with, with other people too, you know, where you keep pursuing and then at some point you just feel like you give up and you withdraw. And so that's super interesting that you bring that up. So if we think like full circle here, I know in our relationship, it never seems like we get anywhere, right? So I'm pursuing because I'm like, hey, I want to talk about this. Let's get like, let's just fix this so that it's over and we don't have to deal with this again. And mm-hmm. Travis likes to withdraw because he sometimes needs more time to think about it. But then I see that as like, he's just avoiding me. And sometimes he doesn't actually like say the words, I need more time. Mm-hmm. And so I just mm-hmm. feel like it's this like never ending cycle. So how yeah. do you kind of guide your couples along? How can, how can we get out of that cycle? I would love for you to share that. Yeah, the cycle is pretty, um, the cycle is one of those dynamics that is uh, uh, really, really challenging. And when you find yourself in the cycle, you know, it's this, that image you have of like the pursuer going toward them and the withdrawer kind of backing up and then eventually they hit back into a wall and then they push back and then the pursuer gives up and then they collapse and, and that, that kind of image happens. But if you kind of imagine, you know, without giving away the bank here, you know, there's, there's sort of like, you know, just kind of imagine like an, an infinity a wheel or an infinity sign, kind of that like eight turned on its side. Um, and if you can just imagine that, that loop cycle, and typically what happens here is what we're generally operating out of some kind of shame, um, no matter what it is. And so, you know, you can sort of take that loop and start with, you know, one side of it and say, you know, what is that? what is that deep, dark core primary emotion or that shame message that is kind of underlying for a lot of men, not to, not to generalize men entirely, but typically men will fall under the category of like, there's this sense of like inadequacy or maybe the emotion is like, maybe it's not inadequacy. Maybe it's like insignificant or maybe it's like whatever. Right. And so that will then be something that is driving their portion of it but that's not what they're going to show. I mean, someone's not going to show their inadequacy. So they're going to kind of show the secondary kind of emotion. And that's going to be the thing that they show, whether that's irritability or anger or whatever it might be, they're going to show some kind of emotion. 
And then that emotion is going to be kind of brought on, um, uh, brought into some kind of like narrative. And that narrative is going to be something that you think, and that maybe it's something, this inadequacy that drives this, you know, this, uh, these feelings, uh, or the thing that you show of maybe it's, it's irritability and they get irritable because now they're thinking this narrative and maybe that narrative says, um, you know, what's the point? I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be the husband that she wants me to be anyway. And then that, that narrative, you know, that is generated by this irritability and then this inadequacy then leads them into this behavior of withdrawing. So then they withdraw and then they withdraw because um, they're trying to resolve whatever all of that other stuff is because that inadequacy is like there and they don't want it anymore. So what happens is then you can do the other side of it and, and you're, and it's kind of re- being able to recognize kind of then when you do that tendency, when you withdraw, if you follow along in this, the, the wheel and on, on, the, on the, the lines, that then goes down into the other side. And then what happens is that person's tendencies of withdrawing actually fuels that other person's um, deepest shame. And so if, if, if like the woman's shame is, is like loneliness or like, she's like, I'm alone, like I'm doing this by myself or, or I'm not, uh, I'm not valued or whatever it is, you know, that idea of withdrawing will then fuel that loneliness or that, you know, uh, worthlessness. And then that will cause her to show some kind of emotion and that will cause her to have some narrative and then her to go to her pursuing, which, and then that pursuing will then drop down into his side and then fuel his inadequacy. And then the cycle just keeps going and going and going. And so because the infinity, uh, the, the sideways eight, that infinity sign is important is because there's no way out. And so when you're on that cycle, you're looping and you're going back and forth, back and forth. And you say, you know, how do we get out of that cycle? You know, to provide your listeners with the unfortunate answer here, it's you can't get out of it. Um, sorry, it's, you can't break it. Um, and so there's no breaking that cycle. Um, it's just, it just is, it's being able to recognize that the cycle is there. And when you take two people and you put them together, they're going to have a cycle of some kind, whether it's a business partner, whether it's a mom and a daughter, whether it's a husband and a wife, you know, whether it's a two significant others or whatever it is, they're two friends. They're going to have a cycle. You put two people together and they both have shame and then they both show that shame somehow. And then you know, and they both have tendencies and then they fuel each other's no matter what happens. So you can't break it because that's just part of it when you, it's like plugging them in. And so there's no way of breaking the cycle, unfortunately. I wish there was, but there's ways to get out of it. And you just got to, you got to be able to recognize it. And then you can, you can stop it and hop out of that cycle as quickly as possible. And then you do that, um, you're regulating your systems and you're kind of getting back online and realizing that like, okay, we were kind of like, in outer space there for a minute and then you can kind of get back on track and the goal is over time that the more aware of each other's shame that you are and how you fuel each other's you know uh fuel each other's primary emotions or shame um you avoid it less because you don't want to do that you're like oh man when i pursue i do this to him or or when i do when i withdraw i do this to her um and so what you find is that you're in the cycle less often and then you can get out of it quicker and uh, there's not always a there's not always a clear cut way to get out of it. Um, there's creative ways, and one of the easiest uh, fun ways is to give your cycle a funny, silly name. 
Um, you know, the trick, you know, in, um, you know, the trick in life is that, uh, two of the most regulating things you can do as a human being is laugh and sleep. And so, you know, the, the old cliche saying is never go to bed angry. I battle that. And I say, actually, you should probably should go to bed angry because you should probably get some sleep, get yourself regulated, wake up in the morning. And it's probably not as big of a deal as it was yesterday. Um, and so if you can give your cycle a silly name, um, what you're doing is you're inviting regulation into the process and but laughter. And so, you know, um, maybe the cycle is called like the whack-a-mole or something like that. Cause you're just like back and forth and back and forth. Like, and, uh, you can name it something silly. And when one spouse or the other finds themselves in that loop, um, in a conflict, they can just shout the name out and it's, it's an awkward, silly name. And you kind of find that awkward chuckle of like, ha ha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're okay. And then you both kind of regulate quickly in a few seconds and you kind of are both acknowledging that, okay, I think we're in our cycle and all of a sudden you're out of it. All of a sudden you're out of your cycle because you're both aware that it's happening. And then you go, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, what I was trying to say was, and then you get back on track. Um, and so th that's just, that's just one of the ways that you can get out of it. Um, but th unfortunately there's no breaking it. Thank you for sharing that because I think that is going to be so helpful to a lot of listeners is the fact that it's not something that we can break. It's just something that we have to recognize and move forward with. And I think that is just kind of freeing to know that that perpetual cycle can be just made fun of, you know, like with that mm -hmm. whack-a-mole. I love that because that yeah. just breaks the tension. And I talk about this on my podcast a lot with kids. Like when there's something going on with your kids and they're melting down and they're freaking out, if you just make it fun and make them laugh, that releases the same endorphins as crying. Mm -hmm. And so I never like think of to use those same techniques on my husband, but I love it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's that old, you know, it's sleep and laughter. Those are the two things, you know, we, we take them for granted. That's great. I love that. I've never heard that before either, but yes going to sleep can sometimes do wonders, right? Absolutely. That's awesome. So Tony, I would love for you to share with all of our listeners as well, because I know that you're not a mompreneur, but you are a dadpreneur. You do run your own practice. And what are some of the things that you face? Like what are some of the struggles you face as a dadpreneur? And how can you kind of give us some tips of how we can kind of integrate because I know that business and uh, parenthood overlap constantly. So I would love to hear from your point of view, like what have you noticed and how do you kind of merge the two? Yeah. So it sounds like you're, you're talking uh, pretty directly toward maybe balance. Um, and how do you, how do you focus energy on something you're trying to build, but at the same time recognize that you're also responsible for building little humans. Um, and so you got two things that you're trying to build and, you know, how do you navigate the, that to those two, uh, things at the same time? And, and, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just blanket statement and say that balance doesn't exist because I mean, on some degree that that's, that's true. Um, but on the other level, balance is, um, I guess subjective. So, um, so what happens is, I don't view it as a trying to strike a perfect balance. I view it as um, giving every moment 
um, uh, what it needs most. And so in other words, I view it as almost like straddling uh, two borders. Like I have one foot in, you know, you know the, the, the husband and father uh, role, and I have one foot in the business. And, and it's, just a mo- it's just a matter of leaning. And so it's, it's this thing of saying, it's not about me coming home at the end of the day, putting my phone down, and then not looking at it again till tomorrow. And saying this is family time and only family time and work can wait till tomorrow and or and when i'm at work going i don't care about my kids it's about work and i'm working 12 hours so i kind of view it as i'm straddling both and and i kind of just lean i just while i have my foot in both at all times I'm, i kind of lean one way or the other depending on what's necessary there's going to be seasons where maybe you're maybe you're implementing you know a new a new pro, uh like a new standard of operating procedure for your business or maybe you're uh, maybe you're, uh, you know, doing construction on a new brick and mortar, um, or maybe you're kind of doing something for your small business. And, you know, to be frank, like, you know, you love your kids, but you're going to have to probably work 70 hours that week. Um, and so you're just going to lean heavily onto that side that week and say, this is a work week. This is what I got to do this week. And, and so what you do is, you know, you lean heavily into that, into that side while always remembering you have one foot still in the other side so that you're always available, always ready and always present for that those moments um and then the same thing with family you know if if i come home at the end of the day you know i'm going to lean heavily into the family time it's going to be family and and i feel no responsibility or expectations to do work but i still have a foot in work which means that if i have a client that texts me and it is a crisis or i have to get that one thing of admin done real quick you know i'm going to be leaning heavily into the family but i'm also going to be while leaning, you know, the kids are getting, brushing their teeth, I might answer a text real quick, you know? And so you kind of have like this, 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 I call it the lean as much of, instead of a balance, because there's just going to be seasons and, and there's going to be times where you're going to have to really uh, heavily lean into one or the other. And to give you an example, Fridays are a day that I typically take off. You know, I take a three day weekend, you know, I work hard those four days seeing clients and and, uh, and there's just some things that being a business owner it needs. And so my business partner and I, we try to meet monthly uh, to have an owner's meeting. And, uh, you know, the last couple months, it's had to fall on a Friday. And that's one of my days off. And I have my kids that day. And so we meet from 8 to 10. And I uh, take my kids to my office and I set up some video games and I get them some McDonald's breakfast. And, and uh, they come to my office with me and they hang out and they're troopers. But it's work time. It's time to do some work. And then it, right after that was done, and I took my son to a play date. And right before this interview, uh, I came and I went and I went to a trampoline park with my daughter, you know, and I got all sweaty and jumping around. And so it's just a matter of leaning and saying, hey, just because it's Friday doesn't mean I don't ever work. Um, but there's going to be times and it's just a matter of leaning back and forth when necessary. Thank you so much for that analogy. I've never heard it expressed like that. And that is exactly what it is. There's no such thing as a perfect balance. Um, We always are giving a little more here and a little more there. And it's different every day. It's different every second. And so Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. the lean. That's amazing. Thank you so much. So Tony, I want you to please share with everyone, where can we find out more about you? How can listeners work with you? Yeah, so you know the best way to connect with um, with us directly is going to be uh, at our website, which is www.storiescounseling.com, and there is pretty basic website. You know, I'm not the best marketer, and so I'm 
trying to get better at the website thing, but it's, uh, I feel like it's good enough. Um, but it should give you, you know, what you need to know about what we do. And, you know, there's, there's some call to actions on our website, you know, in order to contact us. And, you know, if you are interested in, uh, you know, whether it be therapy services, you know, um, or whatever it is, um, I, I don't personally have any social media. Um, and so, uh, I, there's no way to connect with me there, but, uh, I'm always available, uh, to connect with, you know, on an email, um, which is Tony at storiescounseling.com. And you can just email me directly and, uh, I'd love to, you know, answer any questions or talk to anybody that they might have, even if it's not about, uh, therapy services, if they just want to, you know, you know, pick my brain or if there's anything that they wanted. Um, I'm not actually sure if we have a social media for the company, I believe, my business partner maybe set one up for us, but I have no idea anything about that. You do have one. Um, I'm looking at it right there now. There we go. Perfect. <laughs> I'm uh, not 100% sure. So I, I thought maybe she did. And so I don't know. Maybe you can say what that is. It's, yes. It's, uh, so they are sure. on Instagram at Stories Counseling. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I also, you know, I also uh, wrote and published a book that you can find on Amazon called The Ugly Couch learning when to throw things away. And um, I'm actually working on uh, make, trying to get that available, uh, some, some free copies um, with a promo code uh, for your listeners. And so um, uh, ho hopefully you can have that at the end, um, uh, uh, you know, at the end of uh, this podcast, hopefully that can, I can get that figured out. And then you can, uh, some people can go get a copy of my book for free and, and read it. And, you know, they can uh, hopefully, be encouraged that way. Um, I think that would be all the best ways to kind of get a hold of us. That's awesome. Can you give us just a brief like overview of what your book is about? Because when I first read the title, I was like, is this like a home decorating book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's definitely a book. It's that could be confused with that. It's called The Ugly Couch, Learning When to Throw Things Away. And and uh, basically the, the 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 overall theme or the idea is that, you know, within our own lives and within our own uh, souls and within our, our internal kind of structure there, we have, uh, you know, a sense of, you know, we have like these ugly couches, you know, sort of those, those old pieces of furniture that maybe your grandma or that really old person has, and uh, they love it. And they've had it for years and it's their favorite piece of furniture and they think it's amazing. And they think it's, there's nothing wrong with it. But when an outsider walks in and they see it, they just, they cringe and they go, that is the ugliest couch I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, so it's kind of exploring those deepest areas within myself to say, these are things that I thought about myself that were fine and cool and all right. And I explored how when exposed to the world through just my own semantics and stories and, and flaws, uh, it got revealed to me that those were pretty ugly things in my life and it was time to get rid of them. Uh, and, and refine that. And it comes out from a pretty spiritual angle. You know, I used to be a pastor, so there's a huge part of my life. And so um, I typically at the end of each chapter, there's a tie in a theme. And a part of that theme generally does revolve around faith, uh, the Christian faith. And so, um, but I think if you're not someone of that faith, you can still get a ton out of the book. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of the idea, just basically the, the really, really ugly things in my life that I'm basically sharing with people to say, hey, this stunk in my life and is ugly and maybe you have it too, or maybe there's some things that you need to think about as well. 
That's so great. Thank you so much, Tony. It has been so incredible to chat with you today. I know that our listeners are going to get so much value out of this. So thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. No problem. Oh my gosh, you guys. Was that not absolutely amazing to hear from Tony? I am so grateful that he shared his experience with us and that you guys actually got a little counseling session. So make sure that you re-listen with your spouse and really dig deep into what he said because this information is so, so valuable. Now, before we leave, Tony wanted me to give you a free gift. He wants each of you to have a copy of his book called The Ugly Couch, Learning When to Throw Things Away. So it's available on Amazon right now. The Kindle version is totally free, or you can buy the paperback edition as well. I'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes so that you can head there and check it out. The Kindle version will be available for free for five days starting today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Purpose Gathering Podcast. And if you love today's episode, I would love for you to share it out on Instagram on your stories and tag us at the Purpose Gathering and at Stories Counseling. That way more mamas just like you can hear about this show and hopefully this episode will help them as well. As always, mama, I'm here rooting for you and you are not alone on this journey. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Purpose Gathering Podcast. As we end our time together, remember that you were created for more. You were created to thrive with purpose and not just survive. So go out there and live your life with confidence and courage. To become a part of our amazing online community and connect with like-minded mompreneurs, head to thepurposegathering.com slash mamas. That's M-A-M-A-S to join our private Facebook group. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. Be sure to follow and tag me at The Purpose Gathering. If you haven't had a chance to leave a review, please head to iTunes, even if you're an Android user, and let other mompreneurs know why you love the show. Each review is so valuable to me and helps more mamas like you find this show. I choose one review every episode to share, and yours could be the next one. I'm so proud of you for listening and investing in your future. Together, let's link arms and make a lasting positive impact on our families and communities. You've got this, girl, and I can't wait until next time.